Well, thank you, George. Thanks, everybody, for being here tonight. It is a lot more intimate and close. Uh, this is going to be fun. Well, it's great. If you're, if you're joining us here, we're in the midst of our series on Ecclesiastes, like George mentioned, and we are talking about death here tonight. And, and really, this is the, the philosopher of Ecclesiastes, this, this preacher, this teacher, this philosopher king, you know, who we think is Solomon, is really starts out with a universal starting point for wisdom. Everything dies, including us. And there are no guarantees about how long any of us have in this world. And there's a lot of uncertainty. If we're honest with ourselves, and everyone has gone through this, the uncertainty of what happens to us after we die. No matter what we do, no matter how successful we are in this life, all of our lives are going to end the same. We're all going to die. So what do we do with that? Ernest Becker has a book, The Denial of Death, and in that he talks about how, I mean, this, this realization of our impending death is a rumble of panic beneath everything in life, that there's this deep-seated realization and panic, if we're honest with ourselves, that death is coming, that everyone dies. We're all going to die, but none of us know when. We can hope for long lives, but we don't know. We just don't know when that reality is going to come for us. And the text is pretty straightforward and clear about all of this. A wise person will recognize that we all die and that really nobody knows what happens afterwards. That's, and that's the truth. Death is universal. Only God knows what happens after we die. It's a very stark and frightening realization but also an important and necessary one in order to live a good life now, to live a wise life. Because this realization or this starkness, the reality, the panic of death is necessary to come to grips with because that, the recognition or the realization that we're going to die wakes us up. It wakes us up off that treadmill of life that the author of Ecclesiastes has talked about where we feel stuck in the regular patterns and routines. It forces us to evaluate our lives, right? There's nothing quite as helpful for reevaluating lives than a health scare. Many of us have had that personally or within our families or loved ones. Like, whoa, what am I doing with my life, right? Like, I need to reevaluate these things. The realization of our deaths lead us to look for a philosophy of life that will satisfy us now and later, Luke Ferry, we referenced him last week too. He's a French secular philosopher, but he writes in his book, An Introduction to Philosophy and Western Thought, that all philosophy is born from a fear of death. Like That's the starting point. You realize you're going to die, and none of us knows what's going to happen, and that's scary. And it leads to philosophy, because everybody is looking for something to help them overcome their fear of dying. A salvation all philosophy, all religion is a form of salvation, something to save us from this overwhelming fear of what will happen to me when I die. So we look for a system of belief, a way of life that gives life meaning even though the end will be coming. We look for systems or ways to live best in light of our deaths. Everyone is looking for a way to live with joy, with peace in the face of mortality. And this kind of wisdom 
right? This desire for some sort of system, some sort of way to live with joy, recognizing and seeing death is desperately needed in our culture. Our culture recognizes it as well. Modern Western culture has grown in, in its inabilities to deal with death, to talk about death, to deal with suffering. Uh, in fact, we work pretty hard as a culture, not just America, but really all of the West, to not talk about suffering, to not talk about death, to really isolate it and to alleviate it and to not be around it. We've created an incredible network of defense mechanisms to avoid looking at death. Right? When we see death or we see tragedy, we say this, that happens to other people, that happens to poor people, that happens to people who don't take the precautions that I take. Uh, if we just get the right types of people in political office, if we just get certain social systems put together, this won't actually happen to us. That happens to those types of people. We insulate ourselves. We pretend that death is not coming for us. The reality and the unpredictability of death becomes too hard of a realization. And so we've become very good as a culture of ignoring it or finding ways to not think about it or to move on from it. Because death is hard to look at. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to think about. It's hard to face. And as a result, we ignore it. We try and remove it. Uh, we put off having all of the important conversations around death that we really should be having in our families, in our lives, which ends up leaving families to spend you know, $3.5 billion a year in end-of-life care. Right, trying to help people live for an extra day or two or a week, uncertain to know what to do with loved ones, uh, people ending up dying within the healthcare system and in the hospital, because we just put it off. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We're unsure how to approach it. I mean, how wise would it be for us to actually number our days, like Scripture tells us, and to plan accordingly? And in fact, many in our culture are really seeing this and leading the charge, not just Christians, saying that especially those coming from the medical community are saying, like, we've got to take death more seriously. We've got to talk about death. This is a reality, and it's crippling our medical systems and families, and we need to talk about it. And I mean, and I would recommend, there's one book in particular our family worked through, My Mother Made Us Read, All Together and Things, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, who's a medical doctor, and basically just arguing for this of like, you need to talk about dying now before you start dying. Like, otherwise, you end up in this position of uncertainty, the quality of life of your family and the quality of life of the elderly, all of these things. Like, it, it's amazing as a culture and a society, we just don't want to talk about it. We want to pretend that no one is going to die, none of us are going to die, and we don't plan. It's not wise, right? It's the life of a fool. It's a topic our culture desperately needs to address, but it's hard for us to look at death, it's hard for us to talk about death, and not be overcome by the fear of death, the fear of our own dying, or the fear of loved ones dying. So it's hard to have these conversations. So how does this philosopher, this teacher in Ecclesiastes, tell us to deal with the fear of dying, with this reality that all of us are going to die eventually, well, the call of Ecclesiastes for us is that in the face of our mortality, in the face of death, we're to fear the Lord. If there is a God, then we will all answer to him one day. We all know death is coming. 
That's a universal truth, right? We don't have to convince anyone in the world of that. No one has lived forever. Everyone dies. So we all know death is coming. What we don't know is what comes after death. And there really is just two options of what comes after death. The author says, right? Like, who knows? Well, there's either there is something after death or there is nothing after death. We have to decide which is a more reasonable position to believe, that there's nothing or there's something. If there's something, which it seems to be reasonable, then we, it'd be wise to figure out what it is that would await us after death. If there's a God or some kind of creator who awaits us after our death, it would be wise to figure out what that means. Is it more reasonable to believe that if there is a God, that this God had an intention in creating things and thus, thus has the right to judge? Or is it more reasonable to believe that this God just doesn't care, is indifferent to the way that creation is, or to us, or our behaviors and our actions? If there is a God who we will one day all answer to, then it would be wise to figure out what he wants from us. It would be wise to figure out his intention for our lives and for this world. This is the path of wisdom that the author of Ecclesiastes is calling us towards. We're all going to die. How you approach it is up to you. We can go into it expecting to meet our creator, or we can go into it surprised when we meet our creator. And it would be wise right, to fear this Lord, to fear God, to keep his commandments, to seek after what he wants from us. Death is unpredictable and unfair. But God is rock solid, unchanging, and absolutely just. So according to Ecclesiastes then, the best life in light of our certain death is one of faith and trust in God who made us and who ultimately is going to be the one who judges us. This wholehearted life, knowing the unjust reality of death with the reality of a just God. And this life of wisdom then looks a particular way. And all of Ecclesiastes, all of Scripture shows us this, this life of recognition because if I really am honest with myself and if we're honest with death, death is coming, but so is the Lord. Both of those two are coming. It gives us this freedom. There's a lot of freedom to not, when we don't live in fear. There's a lot of freedom that comes now in the life that we have today. I've only been given today. I don't know how many days I have, but I've been given now. Death, the recognition of death, leads to greater joy in the moment now. And this recognition that today is not the day that I die. Today is a gift from the Lord that I have. And there's an attitude of gratitude and joy in our daily lives. But only comes with recognizing that I don't have an infinite number of lives, an infinite number of days. This is it. Today is the day that the Lord has given me. There's a greater appreciation and joy in this. And knowing this story, knowing of God's presence and power, knowing that there is a God who cares and who is going to judge and make everything right, also gives us this confidence and assurance to enjoy today without having to fix everything, without having to fix ourselves, not having to be the one who brings justice into the world, but to know that one day there is. Death is not a surprise to a Christian, and neither is justice a surprise, that there is a God who will bring justice I know there will be justice. So this life of fearing the Lord 
produces enjoyment in today. And, we, and this, is, this is common wisdom, right? I mean, everybody has recognized this. It's that recognition that tomorrow I may not be here helps to enjoy the days that we have. But this fear of the Lord also produces, beyond just enjoyment of life, a greater appreciation for the days that we have. You know, that waking up off the treadmill. Beyond just a greater enjoyment, it also gives our lives a calling and purpose to fear the Lord. It's not just a life of enjoyment, but rather it's a life of purpose. Because now I also have a reason, and I fear the Lord, and I obey His commands. I serve God. I serve others with my time, with my money, with my affections. I have a purpose in this life beyond just myself. I have a God who cares about my life, who cares about the things that I do. I'm working for him and for the building up of this. There's this greater purpose to my existence here. I can enjoy these days, the days that the Lord has given, and I can work faithfully knowing that he's the one who is over all of these things. A life of joy and a life of purpose. It's pretty simple. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes is not complex. I mean, and this is true. We've made this point with all of the wisdom literature and all of this wisdom that's been given. None of the wisdom is hard to understand. The whole world wants this. Everybody wants to live a life of joy and purpose. That's clear. And Ecclesiastes is calling us to that too. Live a life, live a meaningful life with the days that you have because you don't know how many you have. It's like, okay, we get it. That sounds great. I do want to live a meaningful life. I don't want to be overcome by fear of death. I want to love people. I want to serve others. I want to have a life of joy here and now with purpose and enjoyment. Of course. So what is the problem then? What keeps us from actually living this life of wisdom, of walking this path? Because the path is clearly laid out for us. But to actually walk down that path is difficult. I think the reason it's so difficult is because we have two primary ways that we respond to that reality of death when we're faced with it. Because we all come to grips with this and are faced with the realities of death at all stages of our lives. The first re- response we have to this terror or this panic of our death is to just ignore it and push it aside. We have like we mentioned earlier, all kinds of self-defense mechanisms to make it possible for us to just ignore it, to not deal with it, to not think about it, to just pretend that we're going to be the person who will live forever. We don't need to think about death. We don't need to talk about death. We've learned how to cope with loss. We've learned how to cope with suffering and death in the world. I mean, how else can we as a society read what we read in the news and not pause? I mean, that that should cause us to recognize, like, there's something wrong with us. If I can read about killing and tragedy and terrible deaths and all these things and not even skip a beat and move on with my day, right? Like, I have created some sort of self-defense mechanism here. It's probably not healthy when loss and tragedy and death doesn't even affect me anymore. This is distant from me. This would never happen to me. That just happens to those types of people. Yep, I don't even empathize or think about it. I just move on. We don't even pause. We tell ourselves this isn't going to happen. We distract ourselves. We put things off until it's too late. Again, how much pain could be avoided if we just had the courage to deal with suffering and death head on? 
honest conversations, honest planning about death. But we would rather put it off. We would rather ignore it. We've learned how to do that really well as a culture, to ignore a tragedy, or how to respond briefly to tragedy with outrage and blaming of what happened, but without a recognition that that could be me, or that will be me, without the empathy and love. The other response, besides just ignoring death, the other response that we tend to fall into or go to the other extreme of being really consumed by the fear of death. And for many of us, this was a very significant moment in our early childhood where we became afraid of dying, or it still is, of like death is, the fear of death is real. And we become obsessed with avoiding death, with avoiding suffering, with keeping it away from us. Uh, We throw ourselves into health and wellness. We throw ourselves into safety and protection. Uh, We track everything. We avoid everything. We deny ourselves things in hopes of prolonging our life by, you know, a few weeks or a few years, right? We we think that this will give us a better chance of living longer. We, We become obsessed with avoiding death, with avoiding sickness, with avoiding disease, Um, we become really fearful. Fear rules our lives and our decisions because we're afraid of death. And as Christians, we, we just have to be honest with ourselves that we have really adopted our culture's position towards death without even recognizing it. We've not adopted the biblical perspective of death and suffering. We've just blindly accepted our culture's position with these things. We've taken on this perspective, and we need to confess that to the Lord. That we too often just look at death and suffering the same way that everybody else does. We ignore it, we minimize it, or we are afraid of it. Because in both perspectives, and this is what's really true of our culture, we fear death more than we fear the Lord. We fear death so much we don't even want to look at it, or we fear death so much that we become obsessed by it. So we fear death. Do we fear the Lord or do we fear death? What can replace that terror and fear of death, right? This goes back to Luke Ferry. Everybody's looking for some salvation, something to help replace that fear, that terror, that panic of recognizing that our death is coming. What could possibly replace that fear? And according to Ecclesiastes and according to all of Scripture, right, this The only thing that can replace that fear and that terror is hope in God himself. God is the thing that can ease our fears and take away this terror, this torment. But God, this God that Ecclesiastes is calling us to fear better be who he says he is for it to work out. He better be the God who he said he was all through scripture. If he isn't, this isn't going to work. Through scripture, he's been telling his people that he's the creator. He's told us he's created all things. He's told us that he chose us to be his people. He's told us that he loves us. He told us that he will save us. He told us he is with us, that he goes before us, that he fights for us. He has told us that he's on our side even when we're not on his side. But is that true? Right? There's a lot of hope and a lot of faith that this God is going to turn out to be who we hope he is. 
on the other door, on the other side of the door of death, will this God who said he is who all these things, will he actually end up being that way? And for the author of Ecclesiastes, I mean, he, he has hope and faith in this God, but you can tell there's definitely a tone of uncertainty, <laughs> but we'll see. I'm hoping that this is the God that will meet me on the other side, but we'll find out. But for us, on this side of Jesus Christ, we have far more than just a hope. We know God is who he said he is because of Jesus. If Jesus Christ is real, and all evidence points that there really was a Jesus of Nazareth, that he really lived, that he really died, that he really rose again, if this, if this is real, well, then we know that this God is for us because he came for us and sent his son. If Jesus is real, we know that God loves us. If Jesus is real, if he really died and rose again, then we know how that judgment is going to go when we die and we meet him face to face. If Jesus is real, we know what awaits us on the other side of the door, resurrected bodies, because he rose to show us what waits for us, this resurrection. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he defeated death. Death has been conquered. The sting of death has been removed. We no longer fear death if Jesus is who he said he is and did what he did. If he rose from the dead, then we of all people have nothing to fear from death. Death is not right. It's still unjust. It's still painful. It's still worth weeping over. But it has no power. Which is why throughout the New Testament, they start speaking of death as sleeping. Jesus refers to those who have died as those who have fallen asleep. Paul does the same thing. It's just sleeping. The fear of death has been replaced by the love of God and a certain hope of a future together with him. This love of God demonstrated for us in Jesus drives out fear. And what that looks like then is it produces this wisdom that the author of Ecclesiastes is calling us to. If I really believe in God and Jesus Christ and I know his love for me, it changes how we live, right? Because like, how would you live if you really believed that you may die at any time, right? That's that reality that Ecclesiastes wants us to believe and know, recognize. You could die any day, any time. It's unpredictable. Death is coming for all of us. And when you die, you will find yourself with Jesus in a new body, fully satisfied and complete, completely whole, that in death you have nothing to fear. Whoa, how would we live if we really believed that? The death could come at any moment, and I will find myself with Jesus, and I will have nothing to be afraid of. You can see why the early Christians had to be cautioned not to seek their executions. That was the big problem, like in Corinth right away. You know, the church leaders would have to be like, you don't have to seek out the executions that are coming. Like, wait for them to come to you. Because if this is true, if I'm going to be with Jesus, if the judgment has been secured for me, I got nothing to fear. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear dying. There's a joy in the present. If this is true, I take joy now because I'm also going to find joy then. I can enjoy my life. We should be the people who enjoy life the most as Christians. This is the life that God has called us to. 
a life of enjoyment, of joy, because we know that a fuller life is still to come. This life I'm passing through, and I can enjoy myself here. We use our resources and our gifts to enjoy life with others. It also sets me up then, too, if I know that that's coming, that my death is coming, and I don't know when, but I'll be with Jesus and I have nothing to fear. That also sets me up to plan for it, to plan and to talk without fear about death. I don't have to avoid conversations about death and dying. Death and dying is a reality because I also know that it's not the ending of the story, nor is it my ending. We should be a people who can talk about and plan for the future without fear and panic. We should be models of this to our culture that's looking for this. People who can face death without fear, with wisdom and with grace. C.S. Lewis writes you know, that the pain then is part of the joy now. Right? The pain of death and dying, the sadness, is with us now. It's part of, part of the joy. It makes life now so much greater because we know that we don't always have what we have right now. We appreciate and we savor, we worship. We enjoy, but not like the rest of the world enjoys because there's that secular wisdom of like, look, you're going to die tomorrow, so it, live it up now. Well, we enjoy, we live it up now knowing that we could die tomorrow, but we also have hope of a certain future that awaits us after our death. So we enjoy life now, but also with hope, with faith. We're not overcome by fear. We've been overcome by love. And so the call to us is to live this attractive life that really provides real comfort and joy. A life that really a life of joy and purpose now because we have a very honest perspective of the world and our lives. We can number our days without any fear. But this is hard, right? We, and we recognize this is hard. Wisdom is difficult. Wisdom is hard won. Like we talk about the, the path of wisdom has a high early threshold. It's hard at first to go down the path of wisdom. To, have, to face death and talk about it honestly is hard. The path of wisdom, while it has a hard threshold early, that path gets easier the longer you're on it. The path of foolishness is easy at first and harder and harder as you go, which is like this, not facing, wanting to ignore and not talk about or face death is easier until it's not, until it's harder and there's no wisdom at the end. God is calling us to this life of wisdom, trusting him, Trusting that he has good for us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's with us even in death, that he's undone the power of death to give us life. But we have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with others. Are there conversations, right? We have to be honest about the conversations that we need to be having that we're not having. We have to be honest about the realities that we're scared to face about the things that we're trying to control in our lives and not even recognizing it. I mean, so much of cultural things, we just adopt and don't recognize it, right? That's what sin does. It blinds you to the fact that you're in sin when you're not, you didn't think you're in sin. I'm just, what, that's sinful? To just, I mean, to ignore death? Well, it is. It's fearing death more than it's fearing God. That's, that's a sin. Really fear the Lord. We have to be honest. We have to look at our lives. We have to look at our perspectives and our fears. We have to share our fears and our hopes with God and with one another. 
We have to comfort and encourage each other in the face and in the midst of death. Just like Ecclesiastes says, there's going to be times for everything. There's going to be times in which we've got to be honest. We have to see God for who he is and experience him in the midst of this life now. To live wisely is difficult and requires honesty and humility. It requires faith and an experience of Jesus Christ. And that can be foreign and difficult. And again, that's the thing about wisdom. There's paths. If you've never walked down that path of wisdom, if you've never tried the gospel as a life-satisfying philosophy to give you hope and to overcome this panic and anxiety that's always that undercurrent of your life. Like, if that resonates with you, I mean, I really like that quote from Ernest Becker, this kind of rumbling panic underneath everything. I mean, I think that, that defines a lot of our lives. If you've never tried Jesus, <laughs> and that comfort and security that he provides, you know, I encourage you to try. For those of us who believe in Jesus, but still have an undercurrent panic and anxiety, those things flare up from time, all the time. Again, it's an invitation, we're all in the same place, of an invitation to put on Jesus more and more, to put on more and more faith, to come to him with our fears, and to trust him, and to look honestly at our lives. This is the wise perspective. Honestly evaluate your life, where it's going, why you're here, what you're living for. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, we thank you for the power that you displayed on the cross, the power over death and the giving of, us, the giving of life to all things and to us. Lord, thank you for the hope and the power that we have through you and through your spirit to experience that. Lord, we recognize and confess to you um, just how often we have just blindly adopted our cultural assumptions and positions, uh, Lord, and, and how we have become foolish in so many ways. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, you tell us to ask for wisdom, and so we ask. Lord, show us the ways in which we need to grow. Lord, help us to number our days to evaluate our lives, our purposes, and how we are using the time that you have given. Lord, give us uh, spirits of worship and appreciation, of joy and of purpose with the days that you have given us. Lord, help us to be a people that really reflect your purposes and your beauty. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.